Good morning. I'm going to start off with a story. Um, I'm Pat, one of the pastors here, and this is our series called Uncommon Family. It was about 20 years ago in the fall, and I was nervously dialing the telephone number of a man named Larry. He set up a lunch appointment. I sat down with him, and I told him that I was pretty interested in his daughter. We had a pretty awkward conversation between both of us. I ended up, uh, Andre and I dated for several months. Actually, was we had known each other for quite a while, and um, we uh, got engaged, I think, five months after we started dating and married before a year was out. Um, that can sometimes happen if you have, well, it can happen anytime, but it happened for us partly because we knew each other so well. I had another conversation with Larry, like I said, about four or five months after that, and I, I asked him the question, could I how would you feel about if I asked your daughter to marry me? And that was also a little awkward to make that appointment, a little less. I actually had known Larry before. I made the first call. Um, we, uh, Andre and I had been friends, so we had a little bit of casual overlap with parents and stuff like that. Um, the reason, wh- why would I do that? Why would I go through that? Why would anyone go through that? It's really, really awkward. The one reason why, one word reason why, is honor. Um, I wanted to honor Larry. I wanted to honor who would become my future wife, Andrea. And Larry's position in her life, and really would have a position, a role, in if God continued to lead us together, our family. Um, it happened that Larry was a follower of Christ. I really had respected his faith, although I didn't get to know it as well until after. Um, I spent more time with him after we got married. But I would have done the same thing even if he wasn't a man of faith. I actually had good friends who did that, just that. They they, uh, pursued uh, women who were, uh, they got married. They were, their, their wives were Christ followers, but their parents sometimes weren't or were kind of mixed in stars where they were at in their spiritual journey. But they still chose to honor would become their wives, uh, uh, fathers and parents by seeking to have that kind of conversation. Honor is what we're talking about this morning. And uh, in the series, Uncommon Family, here's what the theme has been. This is the last week. That relationships in the family of Jesus depend on each person choosing to submit themselves to each other in, as unique expressions of worship to Christ through love, which we covered two weeks ago, respect, which we covered last week, and honor, which we're covering this week. I've got to point out that this is as an expression of worship to Christ. And so if we're going to figure out how to do relationships, and again, the passage of Scripture that we're looking at is in Ephesians 5, the second half of Ephesians 5, and this morning it overlaps into the first few verses of Ephesians 6. And just so you know, all those numbers in your Bible— weren't there when, they were, when those, these things were written. This was just like a letter that maybe I would write to you or you would write to me. Um, and so there, those numbers and letters, the chapters and the verse numbers are really helpful to us so that we can find what we're talking about, you know? Um, but that wasn't really there. This was just a letter that was written, like actually to a church, I'm sure it was probably smaller than our gathering. My guess would be maybe it was the same size, maybe it was larger, but we just read out loud. And so... Last couple of weeks, we talked. There was parts of that letter that were written to husbands, parts that were written to wives, parts that were written to the whole church family. And this morning, we're going to look at parts that were written to 
children. Now, most of our kids are downstairs, unfortunately, so parents, you have to pass this on to them. Not that you won't dislike it, because it's a really nice verse for parents. Um, And fathers. But we have to look at uh, what we've looked at every week um, in this message series in Ephesians 5 and 6 is the previous context which really informs how this kind of family dynamic, how this kind of relational, uh, let's just say culture, what I've described as the uncommon family, is possible. Because in some ways, it's not possible through us just trying really hard. Now, I'm not saying you can't figure out how to love and respect and honor anyone without the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the context here. But in order to really have it look like God designed, we do have to have something from outside of us. So let's look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. I've read a larger chunk in the past, but we'll just read these three verses. And this verse says, Be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything. That's hard. Next week we're going to talk about giving thanks when it's hard. For everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last verse, submitting to one another in the fear or in, out of reverence for Christ. The common family life is each person puts themselves first. Is really, you guys know that when babies are born, they're born self-centered. You guys knew that, right? Because you all were born and you all know that what it's like to be self-centered. That's our default, is to think about ourselves. It's not normal for us to think about, I should say normal in the sense that it's not automatic, that we think about other people. But then in this kind of relationship, this letter was written to people who had found Jesus and decided that he was really going to be the center of their lives. And when he becomes the center, then things begin to shift. Now, I'm not the center anymore. And what's really beautiful, which we read in this passage, is that when you invite Jesus into your life, when you say, I want to center my life around him, he brings the Holy Spirit third person of the Trinity, into your life to give you power to live the way that God designed you and I to live. And that's what we just read in that passage. So that's a common thread we have to keep in mind. That's why I've been reading it each time. So here's Uncommon Love. I'm going to give you, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, you haven't listened to the sermons, here's three sentences. You'll get all three sermons in three sentences. Uncommon Love gives selflessly, benefits spiritually, and cares tenderly as an expression of submission and worship of Christ. Uncommon respect voluntarily yields, faithfully supports, and lovingly cooperates as an expression of submission and worship of Christ. And again, this is, you don't submit just generally, you submit to people, so that's why it's submit to one another. And this morning, what we're going to look at in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, is this. Uncommon honor listens responsively, highly values others the way God does, and submits to God's design for family relationships in worship of Christ. So we're going to look at Ephesians 6.1, which says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. And that's our first point this morning is that uncommon honor listens 
responsively. The word for obey is hupakuo in the Greek text. You probably remember like submit, which we talked about extensively last couple of weeks and throughout. We won't talk about too much this week. That, that word is hupataso. Does it sound similar? Hupakuo, hupataso. The hupa means under. Like submit, organize under. Arrange under. Hupataso, hupakuo here, obey, means to listen under. Listen under. So there's sort of an organization that's implied by that word. It, it's implied that somebody's in a role of leadership, and in this case, it's God has put parents in a role of leadership in their families, and they are to be heard and listened to and followed and responded to because of the role that God has given parents to children. God's put them in a place of leadership. Now, of course, we could talk about leadership, but here's just briefly. Leadership implies not just that you get to tell people what to do or where to go or how to do it, but you have a responsibility to whoever put you in leadership for the people who you are leading. So that's why next, uh, at the end of the month when we do uh, child dedications, it's uh, on our celebration Sunday, which we'll do, what parents are saying in a, in a child dedication, they're dedicating themselves to taking up the role God's given them and to try to do it the way God's designed them to do. And basically, here's what's happened. It's crazy that God does this. I, I wouldn't probably do it with you, and you probably wouldn't do it with me. Is here, you take one of my kids and raise them the way that I would want to, them to be raised. I wouldn't expect you guys to say that to me, like, Go ahead. I mean, Pat, you're a nice guy and everything, but here, you take one of my kids and raise them the way that I want them to be raised. That's what God does to parents. He says, here's one of my children. I, doesn't that mean a lot? He trusts a parent enough to say, you are just the right one to raise this one just how I want them to be raised. So it's a little fearful, and at the same time, it's like unbelievable that the God of the universe believes he wouldn't do it if he didn't. I wouldn't trust you with one of my kids if I didn't believe you could do a good job. Just put it that way. I would expect you to do the same for me. God believes that we can do it. It's amazing. He trusts that we can. But we, we accept that position as parents of leadership, which means we have responsibility. It means that we're going to give an account for how we did on that job, and that's true in the Bible as well. We'll give an account. Just so you know, parents, you're going to give an account to God to how you cared for those kids be careful, <laughs> be prayerful, and as we're looking here, um, figure out how to do it in God's design. The second phrase, children obey your parents in the Lord. I love how the New Living Translation puts it, they put it, because you belong to the Lord. So this is because you belong to the Lord, obey your parents. It's what relationships in the family of Jesus are intended to look like, obedience Children to their parents is really an expression of worship to God. Now, some of your kids may not even have a relationship with God yet. We, we teach our kids to obey us, not because we want to be in control, but because God says this is how they're going to flourish, because we kind of get to be sort of someone who helps them see what God's like in our relationship. God expects us to obey him. Obedience is like a step in the direction of worshiping Jesus. And then the last phrase, because this is right, because it's acceptable and pleasing to God. It's what he designed, how he designed it to look. Now there's an implied limit there. 
that I don't get to tell my kids, at least not in, well, I should say this. Children should obey their parents as long as their parents are asking them to do what God says is acceptable and pleasing. So there's a limit implied that the greater authority is God. And so parents don't get to lead their kids anyhow they want, not according to God. They get to only lead them in the way that God would say is best. Now, of course, if I decide we're not going to have sugar cereal ever in my house, that's not a moral thing, and I can do that as a family, and my kids don't get to re- reject me that, that, that level. That's not, our, that's not our, by the way, that's not our standard. I'm just pulling this out of, out of the hat. No, no lucky charms ever. I, I could say that. I might be a little bit like too stringent. You'd be like, you're crazy for having that standard. That's fine. I can have a preference that I require of my kids. That's not exactly an obedience thing because it's, it's not a God-given command. But as we're going to see in the next passage, obedience isn't the only thing kids are called to. Honor as well. And that's what we're going to look at the next verse. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. This is a promise. It comes right out of Exodus. It's one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 12. It's what's being quoted here. So first of all, in worship of Christ, uncommon honor listens responsively. And secondly, uncommon honor values other people highly. Now, I really struggled with how to phrase this. But what I mean by that is that we value the position and role that God has put individuals in, and we recognize that in their presence and God's presence. So God says that children, and by the way, this doesn't apply just children. That phrase actually applies to like little ones. Like if you look at the original language, it's like, like children are children, you know, not just because you have parents. This verse actually was not given to children like people 12 and under. This was given to everyone because everyone has parents. And so even as an adult, right now I'm 45, I still am called to obey, honor your father and mother, even though I'm not called to obey my parents because I'm not a child anymore. That verse applies to children. Let's just say about the age of 12 or 18 or whatever you want to say, wherever adulthood starts. In in our culture, it starts at like 18-ish. Honor your father and mother. This is a promise. And the the Hebrew in Exodus, that Old Testament was written in Hebrew primarily, all. And Exodus 20, where that word honor, that, that word honor carries the meaning of weight, heaviness, weigh out your parents as weighty. And the Greek word for honor has to do with value. Those two things go together. Value and weigh heavily your parents' role in your life is the idea. And there's a promise here. I like to call this promise, and I've explained this to many of my kids, probably have to explain it to my younger ones. We have 19 to 4, six of them. What has happened is that our older kids, and our older kids are really helpful at pointing this out, you guys are kind of a little better at holding the line of behavior and expectations with us, and we sort of see that kind of like little four-year-old Coraline is kind of not as, the rules aren't as strict. Some of that's because we figured out that maybe they don't have to be as strict. Some of it's because, oh, yeah, you're right. We need to focus in on this a little more. 
Um, I ran across, I think, a parenting book. I think Ted Tripp wrote the book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, I think is what it's called. The Circle of Blessing is the idea. So this is really helpful. Um, Kids get this. I get this. So what this promise is like is this. Just imagine your life is like, let's just say, a house that has a few acres. We live on five acres. So let's just, just imagine my house. We live on five acres. So the circle of blessing is like, imagine a fence around our whole property. And inside that fence is where God causes human life to flourish. He said, here's how I designed it to work. Parents are supposed to interact this way. Children are supposed to interact this way. Adults are supposed to do this. This is how it looks like to relate to God. And when you stay within that circle, you experience life as God intended. When you do life on your own terms outside of that circle, you, you're not guaranteed to like be struck dead or anything, but you're not going to experience the flourishing that God intended. So I kind of like right now, it's, it's, everything's brown, but like in the spring is the best. When our grass turns green and everything around us is brown, it kind of is a visual picture of like what it looks like. Because life is happening inside the circle. On the outside, nothing's growing. Yet, of course, it does because the farmers plant their crops and they start growing. But that's basically what Exodus 20 is saying, is that honor your father and mother. Is, if you do that, you're inside this circle of blessing and you'll experience human flourishing, life the way God intends. Jesus called it the abundant life. He came to give us life in abundance. That's how you find it. When you live according to God's design, which is the last part that we're going to talk about. But uncommon honor values other people highly the way God values them. Parents are supposed to be weighed heavily by their children. They're supposed to be honored. Within that circle of blessing, God provides protection. Not like nothing bad will ever happen, but generally, your life will, you'll experience more protection from evil than not. Provision. And he promises to sustain us in there. Okay, verse 4, Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Now, this is a shift. The first three verses are to children. The last verse is to fathers. There's no verse to mothers, which we're going to comment on in a minute. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's another companion verse in Colossians about children obeying and fathers as well. I think the pra- I'm not going to get into the practicals of parenting. I'm actually looking at general relationship principles this morning. But there is a practical there about stirring up your children in anger. Exasperating is another word. Now, you could march all six of my kids up here and say, we could give, if you really want to hear the testimonies, I've done this to all my kids. There's someone smiling in the front row over here. There's a couple more smiling in the back row over there. Um, I think the instruction is given here because fathers have a tendency to do that. Um, maybe in ways that moms don't as much, maybe not. It would probably depend on your, your family situation. But the second half is a specific instruction. It's interesting that if, if, if a dad is exasperating his kids, causing them to get angry or embittered is another, version, another worse there, is, is he living and leading his family within the circle of blessing? No, he's not. And so 
The second half of that verse says, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, bring them up within that design that I have for them to flourish and for you to flourish, dads. So here's the third uh, application this morning. Listen responsibly. That's what Uncommon Honor does. It values other people highly the way God does. And third, Uncommon Honor submits to God's design for family relationships. And I kept this pretty broad because fathers have to submit in this verse to God's design for relationships. God has designed you with a role. Children also have to, and all of us have to by implication, because honor is actually given to, honor your father and mother is given to all of us. Why are fathers called out here? Because just fathers. It's not like Sometimes in those, 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 those Greek phrases, it's a phrase that's like a general, like brothers you'll see in there, that actually is sort of like a general brothers and sisters. This isn't like fathers and mothers. This is just fathers. Sorry, Dad. Why are, why are dads called out here? <clears throat> well, I think the reason is, and it's partly because of what's prefaced in, or mentioned in Ephesians 5.31, which is an appeal to Genesis, is the first man created Adam in Genesis 1, and you can look through Genesis 1 through 3. The reason why dads are called out as men is because the first man was also called out. He was given a responsibility. He was called to account for it. Um, In Genesis 1 through 3, Adam is given before woman is created. Eve is what he, the name he gave his wife. Adam is given the instruction from God, which is what fathers are to do for their kids. Adam is given the instruction. You can do it. You, this is what your job is. This is what I created you to do. You can eat from anything in this garden, but don't eat from this tree over here. Eve's not around yet because that Eve gets created shortly after that's given. And then what happens is the fall and the serpent, the evil one, goes to Eve, who apparently in their conversation did have that passed on to her, because she knew Adam did his job at this point, and then he didn't do his job, because I don't know if you knew this, I, I ran across this um, several years in a following Christ. It used to be like, yeah, it's Eve's fault, that's why we're in this mess. She's the one that took the fruit. <clears throat> Sorry if you believe that, you believe something that's not true about the Bible. <clears throat> it says this, so she took some of the fruit and ate it, She also gave some to her husband who was with her during the conversation and said nothing, and he also ate it. His job, his job, I would say if Adam would have done his job, what he would have done is probably crushed the serpent's head. Maybe that would have been like a really violent and aggressive way to do his job. At the very least, what he should have and was called to do was correct what was falsely communicated because the serpent said something that wasn't true, and he never corrected it. And so God held Adam. Guess who God calls after this all happens? Does he call for Eve first? No, he doesn't. And that's why fathers are called out here because from the very beginning in Genesis 1, God has given a role to the man in the garden, which has an, sort of a mirror implication for us today in families. This is the first family 
kind of like the model that all other families will eventually follow after, God gives us his design. And that is for, husband, for, for fathers in the family to lead out, to provide direction of instruction and training in the Lord. So here's some of God's design for family that we've looked at so far in Ephesians 5. One part of God's design is a committed, loving relationship between a husband and a wife with Christ at the center and a lifelong commitment to each other. That's one part of God's design that was appealed to. For a, father will leave, for a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That was the first marriage. Secondly, in Genesis uh, 1, in that phrase, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. What we recognize if you look at Genesis when God created them male and female is he created men and women different masculinity is expressed and femininity is expressed and both of those are expressed because men and women have been made in the image of God. And God isn't like mostly valuable as masculine and a little bit less valuable in the feminine part that he had put in women. They're both valuable. However, they're intended to complement each other. So there's some gender distinctions between men and women in their roles. As is noted... God actually said there's a distinction. Adam, this was your role, and I'm holding you account for your role. Eve had a role too. She was held account for her role, but it wasn't like they were the same. Ephesians 6 says another part of God's design for family is children who obey and honor their parents. Of course, you know, parents, you can make that job easy or hard, right? Maybe you experienced that like most of us did. There were times when our parents made this a little more of a joy to do, and there were times like when they said no sugar cereal ever for no good reason, <laughs> that they made it harder. No, I'm just using that again as a joke. That's not our standard. And it's fine if it wants to be your standard. That's totally up to you between you and the Lord and how God leads you. However, parents can make it easier or harder. But what we term as the nuclear family, which is, you know, nuclear comes from the word nucleus. That's like the center, kind of the building block. It consists of a mother and father. This is God's God's design who raised children and into the New Testament with Christ at the center of their relationships. That might be a simple way to put it. Why? Okay, another story time. So I walked into this church um, probably three years before that conversation with Larry. And the first thing that I was asked to do was to help out with the teen ministry. They didn't have anyone to work with the teenagers. By the way, I have four teenagers right now. Whatever you want to do with that. Um, so teen ministry. And so we went on this retreat. Probably, actually, some of you were probably there as teens. Actually, I know some of you probably were. So some of you who aren't here were there. And uh, I was just a couple years older than these teenagers. And there were some dads that went along. Um, Pastor Bob came along on this retreat. We're in Iowa, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where this retreat was. I couldn't find it again. Um, my roommate and I, who both, both of us joined Decided Cottonwood was going to be our home. He was helping as well with the teen ministry. We, we didn't know anybody there other than our own people. And there's like, I don't know, 300 people there maybe. <clears throat> maybe it was less. Maybe it was more. But that's in my mind. That's what I imagine. A lot more churches that gathered together than like we now do teen conferences with a few less churches. This was like churches from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Colorado. We all kind of converged in Iowa. And uh, my, my, my uh, roommate, whose name was Aaron... It was an influence in my life. I have a son named Aaron because I have a roommate named Aaron who was a really a big impact in my life. 
And um, we walked around at this conference during free time, and we were like, just like, what is, what is up with these people? Like, these people are different. We're trying to, like, figure out what, what words can we use? Like, you know, the word weird came to mind. Not like weirdo, but like outside of my experience. Like, I just don't get these people. Like, what is it about all of these families that is so different and it wasn't different like I want to get away from it. It was like I'm drawn to it, but I don't understand it. I don't know if you've had that experience. Do you know what it was? After it took, we came home, we're like, we still don't know. It was like really a wild outside of our experience. What it was, I can reflect now. What it was was that there's a lot of parents there, not all, all parents of every team, but there's a lot of parents involved in these teen ministries, kind of like our, parent, our teen ministry has a lot of parents involved. So there, were, there was all these teenagers and parents and some other pastors and leaders, and what they were all committed to, this big group of people, two or 300 people, they were all committed to trying to do what we've been talking about the last three weeks. And I'd never been around that big of a group of people, which is why it felt weird. I've been around a few. Actually, part of why I was at Cottonwood is because I saw some of this. Some of this happening in some families, but all of a sudden I'm like, we're all here, and like, man, this is like a, you know, it's one thing to be like around a couple of families. Another thing to be like, you know, maybe a hundred families worth of representation. They were living their lives as a sign of what the gospel's like. Now, it wasn't imperfect. There were some scuffles and fights on the basketball court that I witnessed. There were some other things that happened. It wasn't like everyone was like, oh, this is like a little bit of heaven. It wasn't like that. But it was, these people are living in a way that points me to Jesus and I've not witnessed that before. And that's the point of Ephesians 5 and 6, as I've emphasized several times, that families, marriage in particular, families are intended to point us, to point the world to what God is like. This is what relationships are like. This is what God's like when he gets into a relationship. That's what I experienced in that Iowa cornfield. Being a sign of the gospel starts with submission to God's design. We have to say, I'm going to do it God's way. And if I do, then I actually can participate in my relationships, in the family and relationships in general, in a way that will point to Jesus, what God's like. In Ephesians 5, here's the review. Here's a little bit more of a review than I gave at the beginning. It looks like this. Everyone in a body of Christ Verse 21 of Ephesians 5, submitting to one another in reverence of Christ. In Ephesians 5.22, it looks like wives submitting to their husbands. In Ephesians 5.24, it looks like, in 25, husbands loving their wives just like Christ did, which is a very high calling. In Ephesians 5.33, it looks like husbands loving their wives and in Ephesians 5.33, it looks like wives respecting their husbands. In Ephesians 6.1, it looks like children obeying their parents. And in Ephesians 6.2, it looks like children honoring their parents. And in Ephesians 6.4, it looks like fathers accepting their primary responsibility to provide spiritual leadership to their families. That's what God's design is. Now, I totally get that we don't always get to live in God's perfect design, right? Because we live in this fallen world. That doesn't mean that the principles and the idea that God imprinted into family aren't something we are called to pursue, even if we're in a situation where it's not perfect. 
I'm not doing it perfect. I probably failed my kids this weekend or yesterday, or I will this afternoon. I'm not really sure. We'll see. I will before the week's out. I can guarantee you that. And my wife. But I'm still going to pursue this as my model. Humbly, perseveringly. I'm going to invite the band up. Come on up, band. We're going to sing a closing song, Build My Life. It's the song we're going to close on. In the uncommon family, each family member is submitted to God's design for the role and the responsibility that God has given them. Each family is then centered on Jesus because what they're looking to is not what they want for their lives, but what God wants for their lives. I want you to imagine this. What if, what if Christ were at the center of every one of your relationships? What would be different? I think we'd walk around like my, friend, my roommate and I did a little bit more often, like, what is up with these people? <laughs> I do not know what's going on here. This is not normal. This is definitely not common. If God's people, you and I, will humbly accept God's design for our roles and relationships, mothers and fathers, children and parents, workers and employees, husbands and wives, siblings, extended families, neighbors, all of that. And in all of our relationships, what our heart is, I want to submit to God's design. In family, it means, and in the church, it means submitting to one another in worship of Christ in different ways. If we ask God to fill us with his spirit, I think we'll be empowered to live that way. So here's my three questions to close that you can pray over. What does God want, how does he want me to respond to the word this morning? First of all, how's God asking you to honor someone? Three ways. By listening responsibly, by highly valuing other people the way God does, and by submitting to God's design and relationships. Secondly, how can you affirm someone who's doing that well? Or trying to. Maybe they're not doing it well, but they're making an effort. How could you affirm that? Maybe it's in your kids if you're a parent. Maybe it's in your spouse if you're married. Maybe it's in a close friend. Or maybe it's in your parents because they modeled it for you. Lastly, Maybe most importantly, will you ask as I pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you to do this? Because I'm just, I'm going to be real blunt. You got no chance without him. (laughs) And neither do I. I mean, I could do it a little bit for a little while, but I have no long-term chance without the Holy Spirit empowering me, and neither do you. Let's stand, I'll pray, and we'll sing this song. Lord, thank you that you designed family a way that's for our best. You designed relationships for a way that's for our best, and it's really because you exist in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you that you give us the opportunity through Christ to have the Holy Spirit living inside us. Lord, I just pray that you'd fill me with your Spirit, fill us here, anyone who desires that with your Spirit, that we might be empowered to live in relationships the way you intend. In your name we pray. Amen.